Soy Power Podcast is a free podcast made possible by the support of our awesome Patreon sponsors. Head to toypowerpodcast.com and see how you can help. Welcome to Toy Power, the podcast where we talk toys and everything pop culture. G'day, I'm Trent, and it is wonderful to have your company today for episode one, five, six. This week on Toy Power, we're going to be talking toy catalogs, and this is going to be epic. I can't wait to have this conversation, and I'm so excited by our special guest. But before we get to that, in the Toy Power studio today, we've got Frank. Well, hoy, hoy. Ben. G'day, g'day. And Darren. Hello, everyone. And all the way from Canada, a Patreon and very special friend of Toy Power, we've got Colin Betts. Colin, welcome to Toy Power. Very excited to be here. Thank you for the warm welcome. And it is so wonderful whenever we get a chance to chat and talk to the, the friends of the show, the, the people that have, I guess, been with us and supported us. Yeah. And uh, you're a, a, a very special person in our hearts. And you bring with you today a very special collection beyond the toys, and that is the toy catalogs that the manufacturers put out and have been putting out for a long time. It's probably something that's gone a little bit the way of the dodo with the digital technology, but this was the key way that manufacturers would speak to retailers about their product. Mm-hmm. That's 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 correct. Um, so... I got into this uh, hobby kind of by accident. I used to work at a at a department store in my little town in uh, in Nova Scotia, Canada, and uh, I worked in the box room. I was 16 years old, and uh, the owner asked me to just break up the boxes twice a week at, for 10 bucks. Um, and it was it was the the golden age of toys, golden age of department stores, because every little store had a toy section, and his uh, his little variety store was no different. And he would actually go to the toy fair uh, in Toronto, which wasn't as big as the one in New York, and he'd come back with all these product catalogs. And at the end of the year, he would throw them out. And they would just end up in the garbage room, and <laughs> he saw no problem with me taking them. So that's how I got my first one. So uh, I started out with 1988, 89, and 1990 Hasbro, a um, couple of Playmate catalogs, and I went from there. Um, went off to college, never really thought about it very much. And then around 1999, 2000 was on eBay and started, you know, thinking, Hey, maybe I could find some more of these on online and hit my first snag, which was, um, how do you, how do you guys spell catalog in Australia? Uh, that's a good question. Um, it's with the OU. Yeah. Yeah. G U E at the end. Yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah, okay. So you, you spell it like we do. Uh, so you, mm-hmm. I would type that in and I'd get nothing. And I was like, okay, these things are just... just <laughs> um, Americans spell it just G and yeah. it ends. Yeah. And oh, as soon wow. As, I changed the, Catalog. as yeah. soon as I found that out, um, uh, a whole world opened up. So I've been collecting <laughs> for about 20 years. Wow. That, that, is, that is fantastic. And I can't wait to delve into this because... 
your collection of catalogs is mind blowing, <laughs> and we'll get into the the size. But before we get to that, as any guest of Toy Power has to go through their rite of passage, we've got three questions for you. And for the first couple of these, it's just back into ten year old Colin um, thoughts as as you know from that golden age of childhood and. The first question for you today is what was your favorite toy when you were 10 years old? When I was 10 years old, it was 1981, 82. uh, So it was definitely G.I. Joe. I was a real American hero kid uh, all the way. I had uh, everything from the first year and and a good selection of the second year. And uh, I collected up until um, year five and then got into other stuff and sort of moved away from toys before I came back to it. So. That's fantastic. And in terms of that collection, how many of the vehicles did you manage to get your hands on? Uh, had all the first, um, had all the first ones. Uh, you know, I had the 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 hovercraft. I had the hydrofall for Cobra. Um, I'd say maybe sixty percent of them. Wow. Um, wow! Never got the aircraft carrier. Uh, actually, until last year, I, I was able to pick it up at oh. a sale. Uh, haven't set it up yet because it's massive. <laughs> yeah, that's the next challenge of trying to find a spot that's uh, what seven feet long. Yeah, yeah, it's seven feet long. Uh, you know, it holds three um, three Sky Strikers, three Conquests. Uh, it's got a little microphone with it. I mean, it's going to be the equivalent for me as you guys trying to set up uh, Snake Mountain from uh, <laughs> Super Seven. <laughs> So 60%, what does that interpret into numbers? Like, is that, you know, 30 vehicles, 10 vehicles, 20 vehicles? What? Yeah, probably probably 30 or so. Oh um, That's a lot. I'd have of, to do a... Wow. Yeah. Like, the, the, line, the line was such a um, surprise hit in a way. Like, I think they expected to do decent business, but it was just mammoth. They were making $100 million in the first year, which was significant in, in 1982 dollars. Yeah. And, and, and at that time period, and it just, it just went from there. There were 15 figures the first year. I think they, they pretty much doubled within two years. Um, we went from, you know, I, I, I always do it based on missiles. The, the, the first line, the first year of toys, there were three missiles. The second year, there was a jet that had six missiles. There was a tank that had 12 <laughs> missiles. By the third year, you had a, uh, another enemy jet that had 18 missiles. And it just kept going from there. Was it like the, the Rolling Thunder? I think we've shouted that one out before. A big green oh. tank that had like 24 missiles or something weird like oh, that. yeah. Rolling, the Rolling Thunder's got ICBMs in it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> the, the running joke in Canada was that the G.I. Joe Army was better equipped than our than our armed forces. <laughs> uh, and, in, and in Canada, we didn't have. It wasn't like the UK or Brazil or um, Argentina, where there are all kinds of weird variants. Uh, the only difference we got really was um, we got uh, individual stickers for the GI Joe vehicle, so they all said Canada on them. So, well, or right. if it had a flag, it had the Canadian flag. Right. In place of the US flag, or in addition to. No, in place of. Yeah, okay. So, uh, Colin, what was your favourite movie when you were 10? Empire Strikes Back. Oh, yes. Oh, straight Excellent yep. choice. Yep. No, no disputing that wow. one. Wow, very special anniversary coming up this year for that film. It, it is. It, it is. Yeah. It's making... I, I've always been grateful I didn't get into the toys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think it's one of those things with Star Wars that if you did get into the toys, that's probably all you're allowed to get into. Yeah. Because there's just no space for anything else. No. 
No, no, there's just there's just no space at all. Yeah. Uh, right right now, my main passion is Transformers. So I I go to Botcons or I was going to Botcons when they were still a thing, and mm. uh, I have a massive Transformer collection. But uh, they were just a just as I was getting out of toys, they uh, they came on the market. So. Speaking of toys, uh, the place where these uh, those toys originated from, you recently traveled to Japan. Give us your uh, yeah. favorite score. Take us on a bit of a trip to Japan, and what was probably your favorite pickup? I'm assuming you picked up some toys while you were there. What's something that uh, that stood out to <laughs> a you? A few suitcases. <laughs> a few suitcases. <laughs> yeah, we were in we were in Tokyo. We were in Osaka. Um, you know, uh, there's a chain of uh, toy stores. They're called Mandarake. Um, there's about half a dozen in, in Tokyo itself. There's like a mall that's just full of, you know, different wings of Mandarake. Like, here's your anime section, here's your uh, Sailor Moon, and here's your Transformers and wow. whatnot. Um, I don't know. I, mean, I think some of, the, <laughs> some of the stuff that I got that were my biggest scores were like the smallest things, actually. Mm. Um, I love um, uh, G Force. Uh, yep. Battle of the yeah, Planet. Battle Beautiful. Of the Planet. Yep. And uh, there was this little television set, um, you know, about like this with with the little characters inside, Mark and Jason fighting a couple of the villains uh, that I picked up for about 10 bucks. Um, there's There was a line of toys in Canada you could get through uh, SO gas stations. You, you basically filled up with a tank of gas and your parents would buy you a, a transformer for, for two bucks a pop. And they were called uh, robot racers, and there was a red van, and and these were toys that had been repurposed from uh, existing toys in in Japan. And I happened to stumble upon the original uh, version of this, which was a uh, a two tone red and then uh, blue in the back. So it looks like he's wearing blue jeans. Uh, <laughs> that was really thrilling because I'd never seen it before. <laughs> nice. But yeah, a lot of Titans Returns, a lot of. Uh, 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 combiner wars, mm. uh, like Japanese only combiner wars. So. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. They get all the best stuff. Do you get into battle beasts? I I am into battle beasts. I I got out of it, and then I fell back down that path. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so laser beasts and things are there. That's pretty much some of the only place you can get them over there. So yeah, yeah. I'll have to flip you a picture. There there was a uh, a picture. Sorry, there was um an all white pirate lion that was like uh, uh, about $200 Canadian and our dollar is about the same as yours yeah yeah yeah. Mm. oh very good all right we might move on to the supplier catalog so the first question we have is roughly how many do you have so you've alluded to you've been collecting for 20 years what's the sort of sky in the you know figure out of the sky how many do you actually have you reckon um, I'm probably about uh, probably about a hundred. Wow! <laughs> and are they all are they all in a database or a spreadsheet of some sort? Because this this speaks to me. Like, like, how do you know? Like, if you see one, do you go, "Yep, I've got that one," or "I need that one to complete a, a year or a set or a run"? Or uh, for the most part, I know in my head what I've got for them. Um, but uh, but no, uh, no, like there's. You know, I'll I'll do a list every once in a while, and then I'll lose that list, and so uh, I'm repopulating it now. Uh, I have an Instagram page called Toy Catalog Memories, spelled the American way. Uh, and what I was trying to do is put up sort of the cover, uh, table of contents, and then a couple pages on the inside. 
and then going to use that as sort of like proof of uh, proof of purchase sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, cool. nice, yeah. excellent, good idea. So, what would you say then is the the uh, the average going rate for some of these? Now, obviously, like any sort of collection, you've got some that are more expensive and and harder to find. But uh, and 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 as part of that question, which are the ones that actually go up in value? Do they go up in value? I don't really know about you know. This is despite being tangentially related to what we do. I don't think any of us in the room here have any real um experience with the the monetary side the value how much these things go for um it it really depends uh you can find them for as little as 20 30 bucks and they can go for as much as 200 300 dollars and more in some cases right like and and like 90 percent of mine come from ebay so it's it's whatever the seller wants to put them up for so sometimes you get like you know entry bids at ten dollars and you get other ones where it's like buy it now for for 500 um the and and you're right there some are worth more than others even even within the same company right like uh nobody is beating down the door to get 1981 hasbro or Mm. uh, 1981 mattel um but 1980 1979 mattel you get shogun warriors 82 you get into masters of the universe um uh, uh, before we were we started the show, you had mentioned 1988. That was the first first real year for Captain Power. Uh, so there's, the He-Man's all gone, mm. but uh, there's some unreleased uh, Captain Power stuff that came out that year. Um, I have a run of Hasbro um, from 1980 to 2000, with the exception of I don't have 81 and I don't have 1984. Um, but what I do have in there are pre-Toy Fair catalogs. So what would happen was um, a company like Hasbro, I, and I believe Mattel and other companies would do it too, is they would send various merchants um, uh, a, cat, a, a thinner catalog in advance. And it was sort of the first six months of toys. Mm. And then they would go to Toy Fair, they get the full catalog, and they could see everything. And what would happen sometimes is they would figure out that some of the stuff that they were releasing – it wasn't particularly popular and so they would just you would see all these amazing prototypes in 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 those catalogs so um i sent you a picture of um the 1999 sorry the 1990 uh pre-toy fair where they had the third year of cops and yep. yeah cool that was it yeah um laser beasts were like that uh there was a second year of air raiders um uh gem uh and then you get the standard tail ender stuff, right? Like uh, Master of the Universe with uh, with Eldor and 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 Hero and 1986 for Kenner. There was um, the Dark Side uh, Tower that never got never got past the prototype stage, mm. but there was a picture of it. So, so uh, some some great prototypes. Yeah. So, is it, amongst that, is there any sort of? I mean, we we often talk about grails, and, and if you're talking turtles, you know, Scratch is the one that everybody sort of seems to to lust after. Is there one catalog or, or a, a couple of catalogs where you go, if I had a million dollars, bang, that's that's where I'm spending it. I'm trying to think. For the longest time, the grail for Transformers was the 1986 Cree Toy Fair. Just because nobody had it, okay. uh, and there was one copy out on eBay for two hundred fifty dollars, and and the Transformer community about ten years ago chipped in about five and ten dollars a piece. Um, so one person got it, put it up on the wiki, and then the rest of us got um, 
high quality resolution scans of it. So oh, that was nice. pretty cool. That's fantastic. Cool. So just for our listeners, just to unpack what these catalogs look like, if you can imagine the Lego catalogs that you go and buy, I think there's usually, they used to be 50 cents or now they're free. That And it tells you yeah. the rest of the year's, uh, you know, debut of the sets and things. That's what these dealer catalogs are. And that's what they're given to the, uh, the company, the store the sto- owners, and things yeah. like that. So they're so, big, thick books, really, aren't yeah, they? Yeah. yeah. So they're, generally A four sort correct. of uh, yeah. size. Some they're not not usually hard case, but the, I think the Lego catalogs are really close to mm. the everyday person. What what they would recognise yeah. being, uh, you know, you imagine seeing all your uh, Ninja Turtles mm. and everything else from you know that year that Playmates was releasing. So Skeleton Warriors. You've got uh, Exo Squad, uh, mm-hmm. C Force, all that sort of stuff. Imagine that uh, contained in a, you know what we see in the Lego catalogs. Yeah, beautiful. So there's, uh, let me back up a little bit. There's there's three kinds of catalogs, and they sort of um, have evolved over time. So the the first ones are the hard glue kind. Um, so they're about 200 pages, and they're basically just bound together with a glue. Um, they tend to fall apart after mm. 30 years of opening them and the binding just gives out. Uh, in fact, one of the pictures I took today, the catalog just basically, disin- the, the spine disintegrated, not the, not the pages. Um, and that happens. Um, around 89, 90, 91, some of the companies started to move towards the spiral bound ones um, like this. Yeah, my, yeah. My, I've got a Playmates one here in, in uh, I've shown to the boys that's uh, 1994 and that's the spiral one but all the pages are starting to come apart because the spiral yeah, is the paper tearing yeah. yeah. but at least it's, it's held together a little bit more and then Hasbro certainly and I think a couple of the other companies moved into to binders uh, so you had uh, like you know three ring binders that you could take the inserts in and out mm-hmm. Uh but uh, my preference has always been for the for the original ones when the glue holds well. Um, Mattel seems to hold up better than um, Hasbro's. <laughs> so, it's all those carcinogens in the glue. <laughs> so true. On that note, Colin, which company do you reckon overall has put together the best layout? They're all pretty good. It's hard to it's hard to pick one. Um, I, I obviously gravitate towards Hasbro. I'm a Hasbro a Hasbro boy. Uh, you know, Transformers, GI Joe, Cops, uh, Air Raiders. Those those are my jam. Uh, I wasn't as much into He Man until Classics came out. Um, but if you look at the the artwork there, it's it is phenomenal. Um, you know, these are not uh little foldouts that you would get as inserts in the mm. catalogs these are correct yeah i think that's um, important to tell our listeners that they're not big the difference yeah. huge difference you get so much more you get like a you know a plethora you get almost the whole lineup of the ninja turtles in one book instead of just one year's release and it's know? not even just pictures of the figure there's little write-ups where they go this year is going to be big for turtles fresh from the sewer but those are all the marketing spiel correct. that goes yeah. along with it as well yeah. Look for look for the advertising in the comic books and on television, and here's some display models that you're going to get. Um, GI Joe's a good example. So whereas you would get a little, you know, eight and a half by eleven or an eight and a half by fourteen piece of folded paper in with your your tank, um, the first two pages is just the is just the figures, mm. and there will be twelve to sixteen to twenty pages of 
pictures of just G.I. Joe, and then they move on to Transformers, and then they move on to the next thing. Um, you know, uh, the Mattel 1987 catalog is 100 and, 191 pages. Oh, wow. So I'm just looking at the difference that you said that the um, the first ones came out with a glued binder and the other ones came out with a spiral. Uh, I like that, and this could be difference between companies, but the spiral one from Playmates, it's actually got little tabs. So if I want to go to uh, Ninja Turtles or uh, Exo Squad, I can just flick, flick straight, right, straight to, to the mm. that tab and just pull yeah. the whole page apart, the whole yeah. book. Um, Mattel did something strange uh, in 1990, uh, they actually split their boys from their girls' toys. So there's actually two catalogs for about three years, uh, one for each. Um, and another thing that companies would do as well, which is, uh, these are the real grails, um, catalogs you can find if you're willing to pay the amount of money or if you get lucky and you happen to find them online. Uh, what's, what's really hard to get is something called um, line art. And line art was intended to be cut apart for the making of uh, newspaper ads because the uh, picture resolution wasn't very good in um for newspaper uh flyers at the time mm. so um you would basically cut it out like you would a yearbook in 1985 or something like that um, so they didn't survive and they only went to the big uh the big retailers who actually had a budget to run uh, flyer ads anyway uh, and so those ones are, are just amazing and they're literally just line or outlines of the various toys in different sizes um, with the graphics for the um, the logo and, and, and you know a couple little write-ups suggested little um, uh, quips that you could put in for a, for a press so they were designed so the, the recipient would essentially get one of these line art books cut it out and use that in the advertising so by definition they were going to be destroyed that's right some of some of these did actually survive sort of intact holistically yes i have uh i have uh four hasbro and a couple of um a couple of mattel uh unfortunately none for masters (laughs) that is very sad (laughs) so typically i mean in a way, there, there could be none left, in a sense, for, for a particular year. None, none, you know, none in existence. That's true. I mean, I, I do have a few where there is a little bit of a clipping thing done, and you get that in, in catalogs in general. Uh, I have a, a Takara from uh, 1987 where somebody has gone in and cut out a couple of emblems uh, from the Transformer page. Uh, it's not too bad of damage, but, you know, it's not intact as as uh as you would expect so i mean and you know you're buying these things used so you find all kinds of weird things right like i have a couple of palatoy catalogs from the uk and uh, they don't smell very good <laughs> <laughs> i i mean along those uh lines but not quite as disgusting um the uh, the little fold out catalogs that you would get with the toys my uh, Transformers ones that I had, you know, and I had them all there. And I, as a, a kid, I was like, oh, look at all the lasers and stuff. And I was literally draw like you know, Optimus Prime's holding his gun at a forty-five, and I would draw yeah. this this laser beam that would shoot out the side. And you know, and when you look at it, it just looked like lines everywhere because every single gun, of which there are many in Transformers, I was just you know, blasting all over the place. And it wasn't until years later when I was 
looking at these going, oh, these are actually, I think I sold them to uh, a Dylan for like, you know, five bucks a shot sort of thing. And then I come across the one that I've absolutely just tattooed and gone, yeah, you can have that one for free. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna charge you any money for that. <laughs> you you do get that in in these toy catalogs too, because of course, if you had a toy store, uh, you know, you you might have had kids yourself. You were showing your kids the catalogs. They might be like doing check marks, like you would with um, yeah, like checklist, uh, whatever department store had a catalog, mm, right? Yeah. In 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 Canada, it was uh, Sears, so yeah. you would you would get the Sears Wish Book, and you would say to mom oh i want this one i want this one i have that one and you see that you see those check marks all the time in the books yeah Yeah, that doesn't surprise me when i was on a family holiday back in the um would have been 1986 i went to toy world in hamilton victoria and they actually got out the 1986 mattel master universe catalog and showed us the upcoming product things like snout spout extender rear blast that whole that whole wave and and i i reckon i can remember then that someone had done some stuff and then i don't know if it was on the masters page but but you can yeah. see that you know I, I wasn't the first child to see it well um i have a friend uh steve uh he lives in washington state and he's also a big uh catalog collector um uh, he has a podcast called um uh, please save me, giant robots. <laughs> I name. love that name. Get him to check it out. I'll, I'll send. I'll send you the the proper link for it. Please um, do. Cool. Because he's he's uh, he's a bit of a hero of mine, and because uh, he's just funny, and he he loves all of this stuff in in a in a archaeological way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. His big passion is to go to. Um, uh, to go to the microfish libraries around the United States and dig up uh, old um, flyers, because when oh. they would do the microfish for whatever uh, newspaper of the time, the you know the LA Times or uh, Houston or whatever, they would just scan the whole thing, flyers and all. Yeah, and catalogs, so- or, um, or we we would call them catalogs that would. I guess traditionally nowadays come in a letterbox drop. They used to come frequently, yeah, yeah frequently in the advertiser Sunday Mail and, and the news yeah. as we used to have in Adelaide. And I've seen that on on the microfilm as well. That that's been uh, a lot of that's been preserved, which yeah, is cool, cool. Yeah, there's some really there's some really nice images in there, and and I spent uh, a good amount of time last year uh, going through uh, Toronto papers uh, because we were trying to determine when Grimlock and Skyfire and um, and Shockwave were actually released, if they were released in 84, as we had thought. And, and in fact, that was the case. They were showing up in toy ads uh, in as early as November 1984, even though that they were 85 toys. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Interesting. Maybe Very trying cool. to catch in for that Christmas rush. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So what happens nowadays? We, we mentioned Trent mentioned at the start of the show with with the digital type era. Obviously, uh, I mean, advertising has changed a lot in that time. But are they? I I, I ask because I'm uh, as as the IT guy. I imagine books like this still exist, but not in physical form. It's obviously like a, a PDF that gets emailed or linked around. Are they? Uh, like, how do the companies? You know put this information out to stores does it even happen anymore like how do you know anything and how that part of it works in 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 the present day so all this is based on hypo- uh, hypotheses mm. um uh, and just sort of anecdotal evidence there aren't as many toy stores around anymore yeah, there's not fair. as many big department stores Sad uh, walmart true. has amazon has hollowed out that market so 
I don't think there's the big draw for these these products anymore. Um, also, um, if you are if you are a store getting product, it's head office in Dallas or yeah, or so that yeah, doing okay. all your buying. Yeah, sure. So you know you don't need to have them all across the country. So that's one thing. Yeah, you don't have the um, mom pa toy store bricks and mortar toy store anymore. It's they're, they're non-existent. Abs- yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. The the second thing is that toy manufacturing has radically changed, and you really see it in the catalogs. Um, Shogun Warriors is a good example. They they tweak their figures over the course of five years, but they were still coming out. Um, Masters uh, in the last year of Masters in the uh, Mattel eighty seven catalog, they're still advertising the original Skeletor, the original He Man, the original Beast Man, the original Tila. Uh, not all the figures, mm. but I mean, to have a toy that is on the shelf available for kids to buy for a six-year period. Nowadays, you're lucky mm. if it's on the shelves for six months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so true. Uh, yeah, there's no line, not even Star Wars or Transformers that commands that longevity. Mm. No, exactly. If if they're on the shelf for that long, it's because they're a peg warmer. Yep. Yeah. And so, I think toy companies are into this quarterly cycle now, where um, even if they want to put out a, a good catalog, they couldn't keep up with it. Mm. And then, of course, it's much easier to send PDFs or put up uh, sightings on their website or or whatever the case happened to be. Um, so the, the golden age of, of these is kind of gone. Um, uh, 84 to about 95, I would say, is sort of like the perfect period. Um, around 2000, what you start seeing is the pictures get really small. Uh, the write-ups get bigger. Um, you get less prototypes and more uh, sample art, as opposed to um, having gone through the, the manufacturing process. Uh, you get some uh, CD-ROMs that are included in them, um, <laughs> just sort of show off that. You know, everybody wanted to, to use the latest technology, and in 2000, if you had a CD-ROM, you know, uh, that, was, yeah, that was that was the sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and when when does it? absolutely stop like what you know does it stop in 2005 or does it you know 2010 is that the sort of you know my stuff tends to tail off around 2005 um i just haven't found them and i and i think what's happening is it's not that they don't exist it's that the format has changed and that there's less of them out there because they're sending them to these head offices Mm. and and it might just be that they're (laughs) It's it's kind of the, the, the law of yard sales. Um, I always use this rule of thumb that if you're looking for toys at a yard sale, you got to wait a couple of years until the kids have grown up enough that mom and dad can throw them out. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's the same thing with with these catalogs. You've got to wait a couple of years until somebody comes in and says, "Okay, we got to get rid of this stuff because it's taking up too much shelf space." Um, and that just hasn't happened for the newer ones, whereas the older ones are. Are out there, and, and it might just be the, the the nature of the of the fans at the time. Um, you know, they were searching for certain toys, and this was the only way to get pictures of them. Whereas now, everything is online. Yeah, so true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's visual checklists. You know, um, 
galore. Yeah, it's, it's, it's entire a, sites a dedicated flick, to it. Flick of an email these days. And yeah, you're done. absolutely. Yeah. So, Colin, you mentioned prototypes specifically, uh, and, yeah. and and this is classically. Uh, well, I mean, how do they factor into these catalogs? Are there noticeable differences from what you see in these catalogs that are obviously designed to, you know, pique the interest of, of stores back in the day versus what actually landed on the pegs? Yeah, um, you know, it, it's it's funny because um, a lot of times the catalogs are used as a way to sort of gauge interest in a certain line mm. because you have to think that, you know, a company like Hasbro is is thinking, okay, how many units am I able to move of a particular thing? Do I have the price point right? Do I have the, the wow factor? Um, and toy uh, retailers are thinking at the same time, like, you know, this last line, it just sort of sat on the shelf all Christmas. I'm not going to buy any more of them because I still can't get rid of the ones that I had before. Mm. Um, so, you know, uh, for whatever reason, Laser Beast was advertised in the UK uh, Hasbro catalog. It was advertised in the North American um, catalog. I mean, they exist. Most of them were out in Japan, but they they do exist. They did make it. Uh, a little bit out there, but they're very hard to find. Uh, there was a whole line of air raiders that just never went anywhere. Um, so just because it's in the, was, in the catalog doesn't necessarily mean that it ever made it to store shelves? Is yeah, sort of what I'm yeah, yeah, I think that if you didn't get any interest, they would just kill the line right then and there. Yeah. Right. Um, again, like enough laser beasts are out there that at least there was some limited marketing of them, but the the uh, the second year of air raiders or again the the third year of cops they're just nowhere to be found mm. um about 10 years ago somebody was on ebay who collects um uh roboforce which was a a line from 84 um and there was a mythical second uh second year in 1985 was going to have these 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 new characters a little bit more articulation and including humanoid characters to go along with the cartoon um, and somebody found one in an estate sale uh, in the wrong box um, and picked it up for like 25 bucks. But <laughs> to my knowledge, there's only the one figure that had made it out of the out of the factory. Yeah, well, um, yeah. You, know. you, you hear that with, as well with uh, crash dummies and things like there's a Daraline or whatever that never was mass produced, yeah. and yet yep. people have found them. Oh, look here in my savers. You know, bag that I picked up for two dollars. There's yep. a Daraline in there. Like, how? How? Yeah. You know, it was never produced. You'd love, and, love to yeah. know that story, wouldn't yeah. you? Yeah, so it's just bizarre, and it somehow winds up in that one person's hand that knows exactly what it is. And yeah, but uh, knows, yeah. yeah. I'm a guy in my 40s. I collect toys. I'm very open about collecting toys, and 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 people will say to me a lot, like, you know, either cynically or or genuinely interested, like what's what's the fascination with them and and for me it's um it's a snapshot into uh contemporary culture right like you know why is gi joe popular in 1980 and not in 2020 um what's so interesting about transformers what's um how does a line evolve uh what does the packaging look like how do you sell things mm. uh, how do you how do you change things from market to market what are the economics of it absolutely um, it's a time capsule exactly so a lot of this is is archival stuff and 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 i'm not comparing it to like 
archivists who go into the catacombs of Rome and and dig up ancient artifacts. Oh, I am. (laughs) But in a sense, it's the same thing. It's it's. There's not historians that have done this as part of the business because it was seen as disposable culture, but it's our culture. And so we're finding all kinds of things like, you know, how many different versions of this or how many variants were out there or um, why did this happen in Brazil and didn't happen in Canada or why was it popular in, you know, G- uh, I'll come back to G.I. Joe. Uh, G.I. Joe had a limited run in um in Japan in 1987-88, uh, Takara put out 24 of the um, the figures on completely new cards, um, and it just didn't take. And mm. their whole advertising strategy was completely different. Um, they actually encouraged, through the retailers, um, to take the G.I. Joe figures apart and mis- mix and match the parts and paint them and, oh, and wow. do that. Okay. Well, like the Argentinian um, Masters characters and things. Like they, yeah, the, it was uh, all yeah. part yeah. swapping. Mm. Yeah. What, what, so tell, tell us more. Like, what, uh, what's your favorite sort of catalog, you know, that you've got in your collection? What, you know, what's, what's that wow factor catalog? What's the first year? one you show people if, yeah. when they show a bit of interest? Uh, well, because of the glue thing, I tend to go for the ring binder. <laughs> Good answer. Um, uh, you know, I have a, I have a Kenner catalogs. Uh, anything with Star Wars is astronomically expensive. Mm. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm happy I'm not into Star Wars all that much, but I do have uh, 1982, so that one comes out sometimes. Um, just, just on that, like, slightly. On, sorry, the Palatoy ones come out. Sorry, just on that 1982 Kenner catalog, I I walked into my local op shop that I frequent uh, once a week or so, and uh, that's where I found all the toy catalogs, like just sitting behind yeah. the glass shelf. And uh, I I found the Mattel one, the my 1986 Mattel catalog there, and in, that was in, that was a no brainer buyer. That was and just to, for the listeners uh, to give an idea, that was eighty dollars. So the op shop had done their research; they yeah. knew these were popular and worth something and that was eighty dollars they had one i can't remember the company but they had mad balls one that was fifteen dollars but they also had kenner i think it was 82 or 83 or something because yeah. it had heaps of star wars in it but it but what yeah. triggered me was it had kenner superpowers in it and that was more intriguing so but that was 84 84 then yeah so that was um like 120 or 30 dollars or something and i just couldn't drop that much money on the fly straight then and there and they had a couple of others as well that i can't recall but just to walk in randomly to find them (laughs) and they are in near mint condition like i know darren was uh pursuing some of the same eras as those ones and saying he couldn't find them nearly in that condition so it was uh it was just you know right place right time and they and i'm Remember, I went in there a few days later and they certainly weren't there anymore. The Mad Balls one was the only one that hung around for a couple of weeks mm. before it eventually sold. So Yeah, right. Mm. But, yeah, crazy. Have you ever had any finds like that, Colin, or? In the wild? Um, yeah, actually. Uh, I was really surprised. I found some at um, at BotCon. Uh, somebody was selling some Takara nice. ones for sort of 30 40 dollar range which is which is sort of perfect so i see them pop up sometimes at cons but um uh, one of the one of the first ones when i started getting back into the hobby uh somebody sold me a line basically from uh like basically a 10-year period for for hasbro not none of the like 
really cool uh, Transformers years of '84 to '90, but but still, it it, it filled a huge uh, a huge hole in that collection and and really jump started the whole hobby again. So nice, fantastic, yeah, it's sensational. We've done really well to accumulate such a such a archival history mm. of these toys. Yeah, it's it's a it's a phenomenal effort, and I know follow you on on instagram and get very excited whenever there's a, a catalog post and um, particularly like you know new one pops up or some new you know never you know things that you haven't seen and, mm. and it's amazing flipping through them because a lot of the stuff you know as we know takes a long time to produce a toy you put it out to get interest that interest as as sort of colin said isn't always there and and lines get pulled and and it you know, if the orders aren't there from the retailers, the line away. can actually can actually die. So you do see a lot of fascinating prototypes. You know, directions that these companies were heading into, and that that is to me one of the great legacies of these catalogs is that that missing link. It's that time capsule yeah. of um, the yeah. road not travelled. This is where we could be going if the line continues. If there's that momentum, demand, as yeah. Trent said, and demand for it, or also how they might pivot because often you see a prototype or you see a concept and then when it does come to market it looks different to how how initially presents in some of those catalogs so it is fascinating to unpack the history of it and and i absolutely see what you're saying about you know um, preserving that i think that that is a really important thing for us to be doing as as a um, community, you know, it's, it's an important part of the, the toy culture. Love to ask you a couple more questions, um, and, and I'm mindful that I'm not the only one in the room, so I'm being selfish by doing that. But um, you have catalogs from different countries. Are, what are the some of the noticeable differences between nations, I guess, different toy catalogs? Um, beyond... Um... I was going to say beyond language, but what you find in a lot of like, uh, like the Takara catalog, or I have a, I have a Spanish uh, Mattel catalog, I believe. It's it's that there's actually less language in there, right? They they, they really do want to use the visuals. Um, I, I was really lucky about four years ago. I I scored a uh, Milton Bradley catalog from Australia, 1991. Hmm. And I have the Hasbro one for that year. So I, in anticipation of this show, I, I went through and did sort of a, a comparison back and forth between the two. Nice. And uh, it's really quite interesting. So you take G.I. Joe, and it's pretty much the same. There's a couple of, couple of uh, later vehicles that we saw in North America that you didn't see over there. Uh, the the G.I. Joe General... Uh, the Cobra Hammerhead, that sort of thing. But even the pictures are the same. They're mm-hmm. just, they might be a little bit smaller. Uh, they might be uh, cropped a little differently, but they're basically the same pictures. The Milton Bradley one has um, a bunch of pages of Transformers. It has um, the GI, uh, sorry, the, it has the, um, the Transformer Classics. Uh, which were reissues of G1 uh, year one, year two characters in a new box. Oh, uh, it has the gold, gold box with the gold yes, artwork. Gold yeah, box yeah, ones. yeah, yeah. Nice. Uh, it has um, action masters, <laughs> including the uh, European ones. And it has um, 
Uh, it has the UK only, uh, what are they called? Uh, motivators, yeah. um, light speed, flame, and gripper. So you've got this weird hodgepodge of three different unique takes on transformers uh, for the Australian market. There's about eight pages of art, and some of the pages are ripped right from the Hasbro catalogs. And at the same time, in North America in 1991, there is not a single Transformer advertised. Wow. Yep. Okay. And yet probably all those, you know, really rare Transformers you just mentioned probably never made it to Australia anyway because it sounds like that was they've they've classed UK and Australia as the same same kind of market. Distribution, um, yeah, net. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I had to I had to check the back just to make sure it wasn't accidentally a, a UK catalog. Yeah, but, sure. You know, Milton Bradley had offices in New South Wales, Victoria, Queensland, uh, South Australia, hey. Western Australia, Tasmania. That's pretty uh, much Tasmania, gosh, in, that's, that's pretty like, much the whole country, right yeah, there. Yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah awesome. even in even in Canada, we only had one office out of uh, basically outside of Montreal, uh, and you guys got. Uh, like six or seven six different seven. offices, which is kind Sweet. of amazing. All the capital cities, um, essentially. Yeah, yeah. There were other things too, like um, the North American catalog has um, Pirates of Dark Water, which yep. didn't yes. last very long. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. We has uh, Bucky O'Hare. Yep. Uh, which didn't show up in the in the Milton Bradley one. Uh, Milton Bradley uh, has a character called Cindy with an S, which is sort of like. Uh, their Barbie, which is a character that has never shown up in North America. Uh, it's always been Maxi or Jim or some other uh, 12-inch uh, Barbie equivalent, mm. uh, but never never Cindy. Um, the New Zealand one, sorry, the, the, the Australian one has got a bunch of games that don't show up in Hasbro. Um, at some point, you'll see games and toys and other uh merchandise uh for different lines um but then as trans uh, as uh catalogs move along uh sometimes you find that they'll put them in different books just to sort of isolate them off um so cool but yeah um yeah really 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 neat to see the differences between the two and is there any like we often buy toys to display and we can see in the the background for uh uh uh, our listeners who obviously can't see Colin right now, he's got a lot of G.I. Joe up on display, all in the boxes, and, and I have my stuff here in the toy room. With the catalogs, of course, that's you can't really, and you spoke to the fragility of them before, but there's no real display options with that. So, like, do you, do they, are they just sitting in a box? Like, are they casually placed around the coffee, coffee table? A couple of coffee tables. Coffee table, yep. you know, conversation starters? Like, no, like, uh, <laughs> Um, I, again, I'll come back to G.I. Joe just because it's the easiest one to flip to. Um, usually what you'll see is one or two toys on a page, uh, maybe more if they're smaller vehicles. Um, a lot of times they'll have very tiny uh, pictures of what the box will look like, uh, but it's it's totally focused on the vehicle, uh, totally focused on the playability. If it's got a rotor that turns, if it's got missiles that fire, um, if it's got uh, legs that raise it up, those sort of actions. If it comes with a, a figure, um, 
and they're all done in sort of a diorama style settings mm. so like there's um the cobra paralyzer for example is the one i'm looking at now and there's this sandy background with little cacti out of coming out of the ground and whatnot so it's it's imagining some sort of playability uh oftentimes i'll have pictures of kids actually playing with them mm. in the corners so yep. i feel like it's, again it's like three or four three or four toys uh on a couple of pages as opposed to everything on a single page yeah i feel like in recent times hasbro's is an interesting one where there was a real and with the digital marketing is very clean shots you know so it's obviously photoshopped a white background and then just the figure standing upright now uh, hasbro in particular with the marvel legends are moving a bit more towards his a you know they're, they're in a there's a glowing red background with a bit of smoke and, and effects and they're dynamically posed and i feel like there's a shift back to that whole you know you mentioned about a, a sandy background let's see these things in the you know in, in, in the, the playability space yeah, yeah, yeah. rather than just a, a straight up you know catalog thing on 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 a white background type stuff i feel like there's a shift back to that now absolutely and it's 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 a lot like what i imagine uh toy fair is like mm. um which is my holy was it my holy grail it's my it's my holy grail it's my uh, bucket list it's everything wrapped up in one is to yep. to be invited to new york toy fair once in my life that is the dream um but i mean you you see these sh- you see these uh, exhibitions that they'll do at um at uh, PowerCon, for example, or a show like San Diego Comic-Con where the company comes in, they set up a whole diorama and there's the year's worth of toys in a, in a pitch battle or whatnot. It's, it's like that. Mm. Um, and they've got these amazing uh, pictures that they do. And, um, uh, you know, because at the time, again, that was the only way they could really, um, really show what the product was like. So I seem to recall um, Boss Fight Studio when they did their modern Bucky O'Hare display. They actually got the designs from one of the old toy fairs or one of the old catalogs and recreated the diorama and set up the figures in yeah, that. Yeah. And that, that is sort of... Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, that, that very clever attention to detail, you know, to, to display it in that way. Yeah, which to is pay really homage cool. to, to pay the homage. brand's uh, history. Yeah, that, yeah, that's right. And, and I think for me now, like the, these whole... The prototypes, we know it very well in the Master of the Universe sector with with characters like hero and eldor and how those prototype pictures that first came up in the catalog circulated but even for companies like super seven you know when they they say they've got a couple of these pictures a couple of images and they they sort of release them to the public with the idea that they're going to do a figure you know a, mm. a, a, a nostalgic figure based on some unproduced prototype and then all of a sudden it comes out and there's a demand for that i think this is sort of you know, for a lot of toy collectors, a lot of what they saw in these catalogs or a lot of the unproduced, you know, Toxic Crusaders might have had a second wave, Cops might have had a third wave, you know, Dark Crystal might have had a toy line, that yeah. sort of thing. Yep. And then you can, through those images, through those images, the unproduced images of the catalogs, that really generates interest from the public. And we can, 20, 30, 40 years later, actually start to get some of these in our hands and i think yeah, that's sort of like the, cool. the final legacy which is a, a a super cool kind of end cap to this is that maybe one day we'll get some of these toys yeah and oh, then, look, look with 3d printers becoming more and more a thing 
Uh, I follow a guy on Instagram, uh, Master Turtle Customs, I think it is. And you would think with a name like that, he's a big turtles guy. But his thing is Dino Sauces, if yeah. you remember. Oh, yes. yes. Yeah. Super Glass obscure. Light. Glass Light, uh, yeah. I think, did him. Yeah, and yeah. so he's basically gone through and he's got a... Uh, a he was doing the, the casting process, which we've sort of spoken about and a few of us have sort of dabbled in. He's now transitioned to 3D printers and he's basically making figures that were never produced. They, they only ever... The, the Dinosaurs figures, there was only ever maybe half a dozen of them. and But whereas the cast of the show was much larger than... And he's literally making figures that were never never made and he's, he's doing them from scratch and, and no doubt there would have been some of those you know prototypes in in catalogs and stuff so it's it makes it accessible for for everyone and and to your point trent i, I look at so that the playmates one that ben's got here and there's turtles figures in that that don't exist and for, for me the completest where i go oh there's three turtles in you know medieval times for argument's sake and there's a, a Michelangelo in a full like knight suit of armor. I was like, "Where's that figure? Yep. It, it never got made." And I'm just sitting there going, "But, but it's there. Like it exists. I, I want it." Like, I tend to think that's where the toy catalogs would bring you down, Frank. That obsessive compulsive <laughs> sort. I must have. And you're looking at a picture of something that never happened. So, but see, that's the thing. Now I can just go. I'll scan it in and make me a 3D print. <laughs> Press print. I want a 3D version of it. Yep. Problem solved paint. once again by Frank the Allen King. <laughs> Colin, I'd love to unpick your brain on... on um, I've got a two-part question for you. It sort of sure. it relates to the catalogs, but it could be a little broader than that. And just your quick thoughts be fine. In what ways do you think um, the toy industry has changed for the worse? That's part one. And in yeah. what ways do you think it's changed for the better? I think it's changed for the worse because we see um, consolidation. Yeah, you know, it used to be that there was more than just Hasbro out there. I'll use Hasbro as an example, but you know, Hasbro now has Tonka and Kenner uh, and all of Milton Bradley. Um, so you had different companies coming up with innovative ideas, innovative play patterns, and the whole bit, and. Uh, um, I think that's that's a loss, and I think that's why we see such a focus these days on legacy properties. You know, thirty-five years of Transformers is is great for a fan, which I am, but I'm not sure what it does for uh, for new uh, new entrants into the marketplace. There's always this concern about you know, are toys going to be able to keep up with video games? Well, if you make toys that appeal to a new generation um i i think you i think you can draw them in but you have to do more than just keep repeating what's Mm -hmm. gone on before uh and it and it can't just be you know to take the turtle stuff it can't just be to try a new way of doing the same thing it's not just you know another animated styling of Raphael and donatello and company you got to come up with new characters. You got to come up with new things. You know, how many times are we going to go back to the G1 well in Transformers? Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I actually see a, a a real opportunity for Masters fans because the fans have been kept sat, uh, sated because of the classics line, which was direct only. But now with Shira on television. Two new Masters cartoons coming out, 
a movie in the works. Uh, Mattel getting back into the business, going to push it. It's it's still a nostalgia property, but it's for the for the purposes of the consumer, it's a new uh, it's a new property out there. It's At least one has been. Yeah, because it's been gone for so long in yeah. in toy aisles. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I think there's a chance. It, it, I don't know how it'll do. I hope it does well, but so it's one of those things that, I can't tell you how much I'm. Yeah. Um, and for the better how are things better. Yeah. I think um, while there's a consolidation going on, there is a, a market space for smaller businesses. So you see things like Boss Fight. You see things like the Four Horsemen, uh, who can do legacy properties, who can come up with their own products out there. Uh, because there is a space out there where you don't have to sell a hundred thousand uh, units of a particular toy for it to be a success. Mm. You can sell five thousand, and it's a success because that's what you're anticipating. That's what you build your budget around. And so you look at something like Myth- Mythic Legends. That's not going to be something out there for a mass marketing uh, prospect, but it's an amazing property. And uh, and it fills a need and, and clearly is successful enough that they can keep doing it time after time after time. So. Absolutely. Fascinating. That's That's been so wonderful, Colin, to have your insight. Um, I, I take it you've got, uh, you know, a bit of a, an economics and, and, you know, background in that, that that allows you to sort of speak very, very coherently around these the sort of the business side of it, which is which is really good to tap into. So... That has been, for me, an absolutely fascinating episode. I've got so much out of it. And i just like to say such a huge thank you on behalf of everyone here at Toy Power for coming on today. Well, it's been a, it's been a, a great thrill to be on and, and to talk to you guys for the first time. I, I mean, I've been listening to you for a couple of years now and a uh, very proud patron and, and just, just keep doing what you guys are doing. And I uh, would love to come back and, and talk oh, more definitely. about this or... Yeah. Or anything else? I'll fix sure. you. We would love love to have you back, Colin. Yep. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, uh, Colin, now uh, tell us uh, again where everyone can find you on Instagram and wherever else, please. So I'm on Instagram and on Twitter as uh, Fair Play Things. Uh, there's a site on Facebook as well. Uh, I do some customs up there. Um, yeah, mostly, I'm on Instagram these days. Uh, like I said, there's the the toy catalog memories uh, is a good spot to look for, uh, and I'll I'll flip along some other links to um, uh, to my friend Steve, for example, mm. uh, for other uh, for other adventures in the in uh, advertising. Sounds good. Awesome. Sounds awesome. On that note, we'll say a massive thank you to Colin and to all our patrons for your ongoing support, and to all our listeners for tuning in to another episode of Toy Power. We really appreciate you tuning in and uh, being part of the Toy Power community. On that note, we hope to see you around the toy aisles and to everyone else. I'd uh, just very quickly like to thank Colin for his support over the years. Um, you know, being a listener and, and Patreon, it's great. I know everyone else has done it, but I just wanted, wanted to also acknowledge that we love your support and your contributions in, in the Discord. And until next time, good journey. You can find the Toy Power team at all the usual online places. Facebook.com slash Toy Power Podcast. At Toy Power Podcast on both Twitter and Instagram. Or have your say and email us. Toy Power Podcast at gmail.com. Subscribe to the show on both iTunes and Stitcher. And please leave us a review. Otherwise, we just assume we're awesome.
We are a proud member of the Giant Size Team Up Network. Check out all the awesome shows on this awesome network full of okay people. Want to learn more? Go to GiantSizeTeamUp.com where you can find us and a whole lot more awesome shows. Well, they're not more awesome than us, but they're... Oh, oh, oh.